know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. I've been involved in anti-trafficking work for over 25 years, and I've done practically every type of prevention and intervention activity in this field. I've done street outreach, case management, group work, interpersonal one-on-one work with survivors, built a successful anti-trafficking coalition, helped to pass both federal and state laws, wrote and won federal, state, and foundation-level grants, did research, wrote articles, started an international human trafficking conference, and started a human trafficking institute at a university. And looking back over my career and in thinking about the development of this podcast, it takes me back to my thoughts about what I would have wanted as an anti-trafficking practitioner, what my friends in politics would want, what researchers and advocates and activists would want, to help us all do our jobs a little better and a lot more competently. Even as a student or a beginning professional deciding to become an anti-trafficking advocate, I would have really appreciated having a place that I could go to to find the latest and best information on what I should do. Even as a student or a beginning professional deciding to become an anti-trafficking advocate, I would have really appreciated having a place that I could go to to find the latest and the best information on what I should do each week. So I decided to develop that podcast. So the purpose of this podcast is to bring you the latest and best information possible from those with expertise from across the U.S. and around the world that have done the work, have done the research, have passed the laws, have organized communities, ran successful groups with survivors, built coalitions, commissions, programs, and more. They have moved victims to survivors and survivors to thrivers. They've been engaged in successful prevention and intervention efforts with victims, with traffickers, with customers, with politicians, businesses, and more. They are the experts because they've done it. I'll talk to professionals in various fields, survivor leaders and researchers, and ask them to explain in plain English what they do and how they do it. I'll ask them the detailed questions to get the answers that we all want to know but might be too embarrassed or polite to ask if we met them. I'll have them explain what they do and share information about various aspects of human trafficking that helps us understand how to do the work effectively and efficiently in ways that are helpful for you, like how they broke into the field of anti-trafficking work, how they do meaningful and best practice work today, what their barriers were and are in what they do, and how they eliminate or manage the problems and the barriers they have. Avoiding the need to be hit by that train because someone else already has and will tell you how to avoid it is useful, right? I'll bring that critical information directly to you each week to help you avoid the need to dig through tons of articles, go to countless presentations, and try and figure it out on your own. I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm a PhD, And no one else loves writing, reading, and research more than us. 
I'm a professor. I love to profess. But secretly, I don't want to wade through tons of articles and do a lot of reading just to find the few little jewels that I can put in my arsenal that will equip me to be more effective. I think if you're willing to spend your time doing the work, someone ought to be telling you the easiest and clearest way possible how to do the work, bring you the best information, equip you with the latest practice and policy and research, and say it to you in a way that you can clearly and quickly understand because you don't have time to interpret. So that's what this podcast is about. Now let me tell you what this podcast is not about. It's not about explaining what human trafficking is. I think you can find that information very quickly by going to the Polaris Project website, Shared Hope International, Global Slavery Index, International Labor Organization, and others. They have good, clear information that you can download that would teach you all about the various forms of human trafficking, how it operates, and can answer the what, where, when, and who of human trafficking. They'll even give you information about what to look for, the indicators are red flags, and where and how to report. Also, it's not so much about why it's so important to be involved in this fight against human trafficking. You can read about the tragedy of human trafficking online, the vulnerability of victims, the taking of someone's freedom, the fact that victims are often beaten, sold, raped, forced, or manipulated into sex or labor. You can go to YouTube and watch survivors tell their stories, about their experiences trafficking victims, and you can see and hear the violence and the trauma that took place in the lives of people who didn't deserve it. What you won't find much online is what to do about it and how to do it. I mean real solutions offered in ways that you can actually go out and do it and be good at it. In this podcast, we have a lot to discuss. First, let me ask you a question. Have you ever questioned the anti-trafficking work you're currently doing? I mean, deep down. Have you ever thought, am I doing the best work possible? Am I providing the best for my clients? Putting my best foot forward in this anti-trafficking field, perhaps as a policymaker, as an organization, as a researcher? If you're an ethical person of value, you have to have questioned Is what I'm doing effective? Is what we're doing as an anti-trafficking coalition or commission effective? I think it is. I'm putting my best foot forward, but am I really effective? I'm passionate and I'm committed to the cause. But do I have the skills and the knowledge base to do this work as effectively as I could? See, because I'm passionate and I'm a helpful person, If they allowed me, I'd most certainly run down to the hospital ER to help out. I would try my best to take care of a patient with a wound because I don't want that patient to suffer any more pain that they've already suffered. But my passion and my commitment can only take me so far. All I know in that field is to maybe grab some antiseptic and try to clean the wound and maybe put a Band-Aid on it or wrap it in gauze. However, in my willingness to help, I might actually end up causing an infection. I have the passion and the commitment. I simply lack the skills and the knowledge base. But I can learn to do that and I can become the best in understanding the tragedy, how these types of wounds come about, how infection can set in, 
the types of infections and how to slowly root out the infection so that healthy tissue can grow. Because in the case of human trafficking, we of course want the best for our clients and the best information for our coalition and the best information to pass that state law or start that program. But we all know the secret and that's that we don't have time to search for the best approaches while we're in the middle of doing the work. Perhaps we're students that have made a commitment to fight human trafficking, but we're basically sitting alone trying to figure out what we should major in or who we should connect with to understand how we can put ourselves in the pipeline to become one of the best advocates that the world has ever seen. But you try and try and without direction, you finally give up and choose to spend your time doing something in another area. We can't afford to lose you. We need you in the fight. Perhaps you're a researcher and you're trying to figure out your research question for your dissertation. I know you want to graduate and you're looking over the literature trying to decide and you have a committee, but nobody is really an expert in human trafficking. And you're trying to come up with your question. There's so much that we need to learn and so much about the issue that we still don't know about. But your committee says, pick a damn question already so that you can graduate. But you really want to further the knowledge base. You don't want to complete the whole research dissertation only to find out that that really wasn't the pressing question that the world needed an answer to. You know, one of my pet peeves is when I hear someone in the anti-trafficking field say, well, at least I'm doing something. Let me tell you what's wrong with a statement like that. When you go to the doctor, and yes, I'm sorry, it's another healthcare analogy. <laughs> but when you go to the doctor because your elbow hurts and the doctor starts checking your knee, you don't appreciate it because you want him or her to fix your elbow. The doctor's doing something, but the doctor isn't doing the best thing. But he or she says, well, at least I'm doing something, as if you should be grateful. So let's give our clients and the issue, not something, but let's give our clients and the issue the best thing. So why should you tune in each week? To gather good information and mix it with your already existing talents and skills and passion and knowledge and put your flavor on it and use it in ways that contribute to ending human trafficking. My why in doing this work is because I heard a story, because I heard several stories of tragedy, freedom lost, of adults and youth that didn't deserve what happened to them. I went out on the streets myself and spent six months out there with the women to learn about sex trafficking. This experience would shake me to the core and change the whole trajectory of my life. I'll tell you more about me on the street later on here. So I stand in a unique position. We've been hosting an international conference for over 16 years called the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference. It's held in Toledo, Ohio every September. By the way, you can find out information about the conference at traffickingconference.com. We have an average of about 80 presenters each year. So do the math. We probably hosted over a thousand presentations focused on some aspect of human trafficking. We've had representatives from 42 states and 30 countries so far present at the conference. You should totally come to it if you get a chance. These are now my friends and colleagues, 
and they have a lot of information on almost every aspect of human trafficking, and they would like nothing more than to share it. I'll invite them on each week to share what they know, and again, I'll ask them for all the details about the pitfalls, how they were able to be successful. I'll ask them about their personal lives and how they managed to balance their work and their lives and what they do to reduce stress and how they engage in self-care so that they can continue to show up in the anti-trafficking field and do their best. Some of the information I think we need to know as a field of advocates, particularly if you're a direct service worker or you're a member of an anti-trafficking coalition or you're a student preparing to enter the field of anti-trafficking work. And that is, when we engage with victims, do we really know what questions we should be asking in order to help them? Do we really know what we should be assessing and looking for? What types of trauma treatments work? How do I find my client the best trauma treatment specialist? What should I be asking when I call or have my client call? What is trauma-informed care anyway? What's the difference between trauma treatment and trauma-informed care? Part of working directly with survivors is having the right approach. Is one-on-one -on -one interpersonal work always the right approach when working with victims and survivors? Is group work appropriate? If so, when is it appropriate? Or for which types of victims? Do I need to have a particular degree to do this? Do I need a degree at all? What types of interventions work best? And with what types of human trafficking survivors? How do I move victims to survivors to thrivers? What are the interventions and how do I implement them? Because it seems magically that whatever discipline you come from is exactly what a survivor needs. Ever notice that? You work in an agency that offers parenting classes and every single client that walks through the door needs what? <gasps> Magic, parenting. When in fact, the research says that we should be providing comprehensive, intensive, and flexible services in collaboration with other agencies. These services last around the clock. Problems don't happen Monday through Friday, nine to five only. Who should deliver the interventions? Who's best at engaging with victims and survivors and thrivers and why? When is it appropriate for social workers to intervene? When is it not appropriate? When's it appropriate for peer mentors or other survivors to intervene? When is that not appropriate? What about criminal justice and healthcare and faith-based communities? Do naturalists and herbalists and healers have a place in this effort? Should both men and women be advocates that engage victims and if so, under what circumstances? These are the things I think about <laughs> and it may be crazy, but I think that's the way we move this whole issue forward in a quality and effective way. What type of values should a good advocate possess? Certainly a non-judgmental attitude, but how does that show up? What does it look like? How do we demonstrate that? Empathy, unconditional positive regard, allowing survivors to have agency and be self-determined. How do we demonstrate that we possess those values and under what circumstances? Why should we treat those under 18 who are involved in prostitution as victims and when they turn 18 or older, treat them like criminals? Should we criminalize adults involved in selling sex because they're in poverty, suffered earlier trauma, are on drugs, 
Should we criminalize desperation? And where does sex work and the whole empowered sex worker movement fall in this work? What are the prevailing perspectives there? What policies should be in place and how do I go about implementing those? I mean, for real. Not what I read in an article. I mean, who do I talk to? How do I avoid the landmines and, and get the work done? What do I say? What do I write? As a politician and as an advocate wanting to work with politicians. I can admit that I certainly didn't know where to start or what to do. I started in 1993. I would drive back and forth to work as a bachelor degree social worker in the north end of Toledo. I happen to have grown up there, so shout out to my homies in the north end. Although there are some wonderful people there, and it's the best place on earth for me because the people are warm and funny and genuine. But if you know about the north end, then you know it has the highest crime rate in the community. Drugs and prostitution are not foreign concepts there. I was working at a local community center and family center there and I would drive back and forth to work and see women standing out involved in prostitution. And I have to admit, I didn't like them. I wanted them to go away, disintegrate, whatever. I didn't care about them. I was focused on working with children and families in the area and I thought women in prostitution brought crime and drugs into the neighborhood along with the condoms that I would occasionally sweep up from around the center. I remember that one of my colleagues came into work and told me that he threw water on one of them on his way into work. I remember not really liking that at all. I had been socialized, however, to believe that these women on the streets were less than. And so on autopilot, I went through life not liking them, stigmatizing them. But when I heard my friend say that he threw water on one of them, that hit me the wrong way. And I went back to my office and I started thinking. I had a conflict deep in my soul. I started thinking about my supposed Christian values that certainly didn't line up with my perspective on these women. I started thinking about my values as a social worker. Our primary mission as a social worker is to work with the vulnerable, poor, and oppressed. And I was working with the beautiful, the worthy, and the deserving patting myself on the back thinking I'm doing a great job. I had an epiphany. I wanted to work with those women and help them in any way that I could, but I didn't know how. So, like a good student, I went to the library to read and find out. I remember I found 177 articles on prostitution. Most of them were about prostitution and HIV. Then that made me mad because that made me believe that these articles were written by scholars in the field that were funded by research grants. Perhaps the funders who funded the projects about prostitution and HIV were not there to help the women, but to keep the spread of HIV and AIDS from hitting the good middle-class people of the world. I look for articles about how to help women and youth in prostitution, how to engage them, how to work with them and their children, their families, nothing useful came up. So I decided I would go to the source and learn so that I could be useful. I would go to the women and build a relationship so that I could help them. So every morning on my way into work, I would try and catch their eye and wave hello. They would glance, see that I was a woman and quickly look away. In the moment that they glanced at me, I tried to hurry and wave and smile so they would see me. Lord knows what they were thinking. 
Probably, why is this crazy woman waving and smiling? Is she nuts? I did this for a long time. I did this for weeks. Finally, one day at the center, I was closing up. Everyone else had gone, and there was a knock on the door. I opened it, and there stood one of the women I had been waving at every day. I asked her to come in. She said, you know what I do to make money? And I said, yes. She said that she hadn't made any money today, and it was her son's birthday, and he was turning 10. She told me that her son loved the color blue. I took her back in our kitchen at the center and got her some cake mix and white frosting to make a birthday cake. I looked and found some food coloring so that she could color the frosting blue. I remembered that we had leftover gifts from an annual community holiday party that we have for the kids. I told her, wait a minute, and I ran upstairs and into our attic and I found some gifts for little boys. I gave her the gifts. She asked me why I was waving at her when I drove by. I told her that I didn't want to judge her or anybody else out there. I wanted to help her and other women involved in prostitution as much as I could and as much as they wanted and felt comfortable with. She said, okay, and we left it at that. Next time I drove by and waved, she waved back. I started to stop briefly on my way to work and talk a little bit. Each time I would stay longer and longer. I started getting out of my car and talking. I started meeting other women. Soon everybody seemed comfortable with me hanging out with them. I started staying for hours at a time. I ended up spending six months on the street about three times a week talking and learning. The education I received on the street was invaluable. I learned where the dope houses were. I learned who sold what and for how much. I learned about the violence and the drugs and how women work to protect themselves from HIV, robbery, and customer-related violence. I saw the pain and the trauma of women's lives. I learned who the traffickers were and which ones were most respected. I learned the game. I learned what happened when someone broke the rules, called being out of pocket. I learned the culture of this underground business and who the players were. After a while, pimps started to notice me and would ask who I was. I started to talk to them. They knew me as a university student just looking to learn in order to write a paper for a class. I had two pimps that would allow me to interview them and one that actually took me to a house he owned and used for prostitution. At the end of the six months, I got together with the women and told them that I would be opening a program to help women like them. I asked them to tell me what they would like to have in a program and they designed all the elements of the program. They even named it Second Chance. Second Chance became the first program in Ohio to offer direct services to women involved in prostitution and trafficked women and youth. It opened in 1993. I wouldn't learn until much later that my childhood friend from the North End got involved, was trafficked, and murdered a few blocks from where we used to live. Second Chance was a thriving program. I went into the jails to talk to women. I conducted street outreach. I ran weekly groups that then morphed into individualized case management. That program is still open today in Toledo, Ohio. It's now called RISE. And it has changed to meet the current demands, but it still fosters the philosophy and intensive work embodied by those initial founders over 25 years ago. 
I started Second Chance because I was passionate and I was committed to doing something that made a difference in the lives of these women. But I have to admit, I had the generic skills of a social worker, but I didn't know much about prostitution until I went out there and learned. And I didn't have evidence-based models to use to make my work not only meaningful, but that much more effective. I wanna help you avoid those issues and bring you the best information possible from experts in the field. If you don't know how to break into the field, I don't want you to go out on the street like I did. It's dangerous. Lucky for you, I have lots of friends from various disciplines that have already traveled the roads that you wanna travel and they'll bring you the best approaches possible and will help you avoid the pitfalls. Today I love it when I run into women and youth that I've helped and I see them doing well. It doesn't always happen and we have lost some fantastic women and kids to trafficking, drug overdose deaths, and a host of other problems. But it's my Christmas, my birthday all wrapped into one when I see a survivor and they tell me that they're doing well and they tell me about their lives now. And so the work we do is so important. Let's not just do something, let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues. <laughs>